Join me in a word of prayer before we have this morning's message. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're continuing our look at the Apostles' Creed today, and we've made it to uh, the place where it says, uh, and he ascended uh, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And uh, we're going to stand and read the creed together in a moment, Uh, but each week when we've been doing this, I've been saying that one of the things that reading the creed together does is that it's like pledging our allegiance to these beliefs, to God, to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit. Um, It is us reaffirming our faith in these things. It's reminding us of the core of the Christian faith, of Christian doctrine. Uh, But it is also a time for us uh, to say no to the popular cultural narratives that we find around us. And so I've mentioned to saying no to materialism, saying no uh, to intellectualism, not to the intellect, but to the idea that uh, we can save ourselves by thinking through these problems. Uh, Saying no to emotionalism, that our emotions uh, are true and they tell us what is true about the world. Um, Today, we're saying no to atheism. Atheism is the belief that there is no God, that the only thing that exists is what you can see, touch, smell, feel, Uh, that material world is all there is, that there is no supernatural world. And and this creed, first line, says no to that. I believe in God the Father. And, And so we are saying no to a growing trend in our culture and in this world. Atheism is growing, is becoming more uh, militant and more aggressive. Uh, And and so this creed says no to that. Um, It also says no to Christians who would live their lives as if they were atheists. Um, Perhaps you've met them. Perhaps you've been guilty of this. There are times when we live life like God doesn't exist. Um, that's called sin, by the way, uh, when we kind of get the God be gone spray out and we do whatever we want. Um, we are saying no to nominalist Christianity and to atheism today. So if you would stand and join me in saying the, the Apostles' Creed today in a good, strong voice like you mean it, uh, like the last 2,000 years of Christians who have said this before us. Please be seated. We've covered some interesting ground, right? Uh, Descended into hell was last week. Um, 
No one messaged me or sent me emails with confusion on that one, so I guess it was super clear, um, or you just gave up. Uh, so uh, anyways, today he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Um, Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Acts comes right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts is the second book written by Luke, who is a physician. Uh, In fact, in this first line of Acts chapter 1, we're going to read uh, that he is referencing his first book. He says, in my first book, Theophilus, he's writing an account of Jesus Christ. He's writing an account of the early church. And he's pretty meticulous in it, and it's an engaging book. It's a fun book to read. Um, if you have struggles with Paul, because he's really didactic, and he's, you know, even Peter said his stuff's hard to understand. Uh, Luke, the book of Acts, great place to start in your reading of the scriptures if you haven't done that, uh, because it's action packed, it's stories. We all love stories, um, and there's good things in there. Luke is writing. Uh, to a man named Theophilus. Um, And like I've said before, the Bible wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. It wasn't written to you. We know that because it says he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. He's writing to the first century audience. Uh, It was written to them. But unbeknownst to Luke, the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write these words. And it was written for us 2,000 years later. Crazy, isn't it? Amazing. It'd blow Luke's mind. In fact, think about it. How many books that are being... I've heard recently that 50,000 books are published every year. How many of those will be read 2,000 years from now? (laughs) Very few, if any. But the scriptures are still read to this day. So Acts chapter 1, hopefully I gave you enough time to get there. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, what's that word? Began to do and to teach. Luke's first book ends with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And here he begins his book by saying, I wrote to you about what Jesus began to do. Now, this is a very interesting thing. I want you to circle, highlight, underline that word. If you're that kind of a person in your Bible, that's a really good habit to get into. Uh, Jesus began to do and to teach. Next line. Uh, Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Go ahead, Bailey. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That's funny, right? I mean, uh, we just watched Jesus ascend into heaven. You got it. I mean, come on. That's funny stuff. Uh, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. Interesting beginning to a book, right? Especially when it says, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to, to do and then In the same paragraph, Jesus flies away. So if Jesus is doing stuff, where would you assume Jesus is doing those things? I mean, with this setup, with the beginning of this book, I would think he's doing stuff where Jesus is. And he is hidden by a cloud at the end of this passage. He's up in heaven is is what we would say. He's flown away. He's flown the coop. But it starts out by saying, I wrote to you all that Jesus began to do. And then the rest of the book talks about what Jesus is doing, right? I mean, that must be what it's about because he says, I wrote about what Jesus began, and now I'm going to continue that story. And right at the beginning, Jesus flies away. (laughs) Now, the ascension is not a day that most churches outside of, say, uh, Anglicans or Catholics really pay much attention to. Now, part of it is because the ascension happens 40 days after Easter. Easter is a big, huge day. We're all excited about Easter. Easter happens on a Sunday. It's kind of sort of a holiday. It's a big deal. 40 days after that is the ascension. Uh, After Easter, the big major religious holiday is Pentecost. And so a lot of churches make a big deal out of Pentecost. And kind of square in the middle of those two dates is the ascension of Jesus, 40 days after Easter. Partly why we don't pay attention to it is because it always happens on a Thursday, right? 40 days after Easter is a Thursday, Ascension Thursday. Jesus flew a coop on a Thursday, I guess. And we don't get together on Thursdays. We don't do much on Thursdays as far as the church community. Wednesday night Bible studies, yes. Uh, stuff for kids on Wednesdays, Mondays, yes. Thursdays, nobody does anything on Thursday. Jesus, his ascension, 40 days after Easter. And let me say, I think we neglect the ascension uh, much to our detriment. We need to think about the ascension far more than we do. We need to pay more attention to the ascension. And that's why this is so good for us, so healthy for us, for this to be in the creed. It says, he ascended into heaven. It's recorded for us here. It's recorded for us in other parts of the scriptures. And we learn that Jesus physically, that's key, physically left earth and went to heaven. You see, for us, from our perspective, the ascension is about divine absence. For us, from our perspective, the ascension is about God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, leaving. 
right? 40 days after the disciples are all thrilled, he's alive. He beat death. He does many things to prove he's alive. How does he do that? He eats fish. He cooks for them. He lets some of them touch him by touching the wounds on his body. He's hugged. He hangs out with his buddies. He travels around. He talks. He interacts with them. He's physical. He's real. He's alive. And then 40 days later, (laughs) on a day like any other Thursday, they're hanging out. They're having a conversation. Hey, Jesus, are you about to start up the whole kingdom of Israel thing? It's a good question. Why is that a good question? The reason it's a good question is because Jesus Christ, Christ isn't a last name. It is a title. And Christ is the Greek for Messiah. And Messiah is Hebrew, which means anointed one. And the anointed one was the king. And now they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, risen from the dead. And what remains for him to do is to restore the kingdom of Israel. There's these pesky Romans. It's time to get rid of them. There's these other kingdoms that have given the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, a difficult time. Still kind of going on today, right? And they say, are you going to start the kingdom? They're just having a normal conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, you know what? It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus tells us he doesn't know. He doesn't know when he's coming back. He doesn't know when this is going to happen, where he's going to restore the kingdom in the way that the disciples are saying. And right after he says those things, he, he goes up into heaven. <laughs> and then two guys show up and they're like, hey, what are you looking at? Right? I mean, that's what it says, right? Hey, what are you looking at? That's the Greek. Hey, what are you looking at? What's going on? What a strange story. What an interesting way to start a book. Jesus has left the building. Jesus has left planet Earth. 40 days after he pulls off Easter, he leaves. Why? Why would he do that? I can think of a handful of things that would be super helpful If he had stuck around, can you think of anything? Like for one, he had a tendency to heal people. That's probably more than a tendency. He had a propensity for healing people. People brought sick, the ill, the dying, the dead. They brought these folks to him all over the ancient world. They came, they heard, they saw, they showed up, they placed their sick, their dying, their dead in front of Jesus. And he healed them. I know of some sick and dying and dead people that I wouldn't mind Jesus sticking around to help out with those things, right? Um, he could make lunch for free out of just a handful of loaves of bread and fish. I mean, think about that political platform to run on, <laughs> right? You say there's no such thing as free lunch? Watch this. <laughs> right? Nobody, no redistribution of wealth other than came from heaven to us, you know, that's pretty cool redistribution of wealth. But that would be an amazing ability. We just heard about these poor children in Romania and what's going on in their lives. And many are hungry and many are trafficked because terrible things are happening in those children's lives. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus was there in Romania? Why do you leave? 
Then I remember a passage in John 14. I, I don't have the verses for you, but just came to mind earlier today. And he says, when I leave, you will do even greater things than I. You will do even greater things than me. Did you know that the book of Luke is, or excuse me, the book, the book of Acts is Luke's way of telling us what these greater things are that the early church started to do. You see, one of the problems with being physical, with being in a body, which Jesus still, by the way, is physical and he's still in a body. There is a human body in heaven and Jesus is it. Jesus' physical body is sitting on the throne at the right hand of God. Jesus' spiritual physical body is in heaven. Isn't that amazing? It's the one thing from earth that got there. And Jesus took it with him, Acts chapter 1. And we forget that, and we don't believe it. We think Jesus is, no, he's disembodied. Some, somehow he's, he's, no, he's physically in the body next to God the Father in heaven. And one of the things with a physical body that I've experienced is I can't do everything I'd like to do. You ever had that? Like, oh, I don't know, this fall, there's going to be some early Broncos games. They're going to start at 11 o'clock. Pat Bolin, the Broncos organization, has not heeded my pleas with all my impassioned letter writing and my campaign to move those back because I got to work, people. Some of you, you can slack off, you stay home, you watch the game, right? But I have to be here. And I have tried to impassionately tell Pat, hey, push the games back for us pastors, right? Apparently he doesn't care about me. The games are at 11. And on those Sundays, I have a dilemma. I am in a body, and this body's stuck here. But my body wants to be in front of a television watching my beloved Broncos. How about you? In fact, have you noticed how attendance... Well, you haven't because you weren't here. Attendance goes down on those Sundays. When the Broncos play, attendance goes down because you know that you can't be in two places at one time. And so we make choices. We prioritize things. We decide, you know what? This is more important to me right now than this. I mean, they have church every Sunday. If the Broncos play at two next week, I'll just skip this one. And, and it's okay. By the way, Jesus isn't taking role. There's no stars that he's giving you, unless there are, and then you're in big trouble. But that's the part of, of a body. If Jesus was on earth, he'd be stuck wherever he's at. There he is, Right? Because he's in a body. Now, his body can move really fast. It can go, go through walls. It's got some cool capabilities that our bodies can't. It can even ascend into heaven. But he can't be everywhere in that body. Now, by the way, this is confusing, and it's part of the mystery of the Trinity. Jesus is everywhere. I don't know exactly how that works, right? Because he is God, and God is everywhere. But Jesus' body and his person is in heaven. Don't ask me to explain it. Uh, they didn't teach that very well in seminary because nobody understands it. But Jesus, if he was on earth, wouldn't you want the doctor instead of the nurse? I mean, if he was still here. This happens in church world, by the way, still. 
Sometimes I, 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 leadership is, is letting people down at a rate that they can stand. Did you know that? And by that definition, I think I've proven to be a pretty good leader. I have, I have, for the vast majority of you, I have let you down at a rate that you can stand. And part of that is I can't be everywhere that maybe you would like me to be. I can't do everything that you would like me to do. In fact, if Jesus were to apply for most pastorate positions in North America, he would not get the job. He wouldn't be qualified. He, he would, you know, there'd be some, uh, you know, he doesn't show up fast enough. He's not smart enough. I don't know what the guy's problem is. You know, he's off hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He's at the bar all the time. What's his problem, right? That's Jesus, not me, by the way. And... And you see, if Jesus were here, who'd come here to listen to me? If Jesus were here, why would any churches other than the church of Jesus and wherever that's located, why would any of the church be able to compete? I mean, talk about a healing ministry. Talk about a a soup kitchen ministry. Talk about a preaching ministry. I mean, the rest of us would be like, you're just out of a job. You should go to Jesus church, right? And this is actually what happens in lots of churches. I was told early on when I got here, hey, if you'll do it, we'll be happy to watch you. You see, Jesus' absence is actually what gives the church its mission. Jesus leaving is actually what motivates Christian mission for us to be active taking Jesus to Romania, taking Jesus to of all places, Yuma, Colorado, to take Jesus around the world wherever we live. That's his absence at work. His absence, his leaving, allows that to happen for all of us to play a role. And it's the craziest idea to accomplish anything, isn't it? I mean, if I were God, I'd probably be a control freak. I would probably make sure it gets done. I would probably make sure it gets done right. I've met some of these people. I live with some of these people, right? I'm not this way because of my personality. It's a, it's a flaw in me. I understand that. But if I were God, I think I'd make sure it got done. And how does God make sure it gets done? <laughs> he looks to people like me. And you. And says, here's plan A and B, and C, right? I'm dependent on you. It's your task. It's your calling. It's your mission. It's what you are supposed to be doing. Isn't that interesting? All right. That's him ascending, the divine absence But for Jesus, from his perspective, from our perspective, it's Jesus heading off into the clouds and we're all standing there going, what? He left. From Jesus' perspective, it's a homecoming, right? It's a homecoming. Phew, I got out of there alive. I got to come back home. I got to come back to sit on my throne. In fact, N.T. Wright and other New Testament scholars tell us that the Gospels, the entire trajectory of the Gospels, is how Jesus became king. That's the story that the Gospels are telling, how Jesus became king. And the way Jesus became king is that they let him 
They let, he let them kill him. He let the powers, all of the principalities, the authorities on planet earth, he let them destroy him. He let the evils and the sin and the horrific things in this world, he allowed all those things on the cross to just beat the crap out of him. <laughs> I said crap. There's other words though, isn't there? It's an excruciating death that Jesus experienced on that cross for us and all of the garbage and filth and vileness that you see in this world. It was all heaped upon him. He allowed it to happen on that cross. And then he rose. He absorbed their greatest blow. He absorbed their filthiest most vile, most hateful, most terrible, most excruciating, right? He absorbed it. He died. He rose. He defeated. And he rose as king. This is how Jesus became king. He became king by dying on the cross, by absorbing all the filth and vileness. Just imagine a politician that would do that today. Would that be amazing? Somebody who could just bring it on. I can take it. I'm big enough. It could kill me, but I will rise. And Jesus did it. He's King Jesus. How do I know he's King Jesus? Revelations. And lots of other places in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, which was read at Ruth's funeral. Lots of places in the scriptures tell us that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Just in case you don't know who they're talking about. God the Father Almighty. Right? It piles up all these words, all these adjectives for God. So you don't think of it as loosey-goosey, weird like God, like Allah perhaps, or or some one of those Indian gods. They have like 10,000 in Hinduism. No, they want you to know this is Yahweh, God the Father Almighty. And Jesus is sitting on that throne. And Jesus is able to sit on that throne because of why? Who sits on that throne? A king. The king. The king. The God of all sits on that throne it's interesting revelations tells us something that's going to happen to us someday i'll get to that in a minute because as soon as i say revelation everybody wakes up from their slumber and starts paying more attention because there's something about that that's going to happen to us we're going to look at a few things though we're going to look at it through our quick matrix of ideas symmetry how does Jesus ascent into heaven and sitting on the throne help us become more well-rounded Christians? Well, churches have a tendency to navel gaze. Churches have a tendency to be a place where we go, us for no more. Churches have a tendency to be only concerned with what happens inside of these Walls. Churches have a tendency to just become self-focused. Focused on only themselves, only their concerns, only what's going on in their lives, only what's going on in the church. And Jesus ascended on high on the throne gives the church mission. 
We are to be a people of mission. We are to be a people of calling. We are to be a people of service. We are to be a people that love, that care, that move into the neighborhood like Jesus did and love and care for the least of these. That is the mission of the church. That makes us better rounded Christians. It makes us more symmetrical. It helps us get away from, well, it's only about me and my concerns and how I like things and how things are going for me. This next part's going to be mean. Some of us got to get off our duffs and serve Christ. (laughs) Some of us have got to get into the game. King Jesus expects nothing less. King Jesus expects your best. King Jesus gave his best to get your best out of you. I mean, if this was some sort of weird transaction, then you could probably go, eh, you know, that wasn't good enough. I'm not going to give. I'm going to withhold. I don't really care. But since Jesus gave everything to you, his life, he can expect Everything from you, your life. That's his right as king. It's what he expects. Some of us need to get involved in the nursery. Some of us need to get involved in lift. Some of us need to serve in the kitchen. Some of us need to help with funeral dinners. And by the way, that's awful lot of just inside this building, isn't it? And you might think, oh, you're just trying to build the church. You're all concerned about building the church. No, some of us need to serve in the community. Some of us need to be on the rack board. Some of us need to be on the theater board. Some of us need to be on the hospital board. Some of us need to love our neighbors better than we are. Some of us need to reach out to the orphans and the widows. Some of us need to become foster parents. Some of us need to take Christ into all of these arenas and serve him better, more passionately than we are. Because it becomes so easy to think, thank God I'm saved. I'm just going to sit back and watch the rest of the world go to hell in a handbasket. That's why he left. To give you purpose. To give you mission. And until you and I understand how important we are in this. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We are all so important. You have a call on your life. You have a ministry that God has gifted you for. You have a purpose for being part of this church body. If you can't figure it out, then you might not be at the right one and need to go find the church body that you'll find your purpose at. Did he just say I could leave? Yes, I said you could leave if you're not finding your purpose and value as a player in the kingdom of God here. Because he's got people spread out throughout this community, throughout this county, who are following him and serving him, and you and I need to play our role. Symmetry. Clarity. Clarity. Jesus is on the throne. What does that do to your perspective of your life today? 
I mean, I know there's tons of evidence that is contrary to that, that Jesus is on the throne. I know that there's tons of evidence. One of them is, my goodness, this pastor keeps going and going and going, and I'm going to be last in line at Ray Cafe today, you know? There's all sorts of evidence that there's evil, that there's terrible things that happen in this world. There's all sorts of evidence, and it's piling up and up and up. You just got to watch the evening news. You just got to follow a newspaper. You just got to hang out on Facebook sometimes. You just got to see this stuff. But contrary to all that evidence, Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne. Part of our mission is to extend his rule and reign in this world. It's part of our mission. But it also is something that we need to keep clear in our minds. That regardless of the evidence, Jesus rules. Christ reigns. Regardless of what I see, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what happens to me, Jesus is ruling and reigning. And we need to be crystal clear about that. It should make us optimists. It should make us look forward to the fact that this is not our home. This is not the only world we will ever know. We will know the perfected, wonderful world that Jesus is in the process of restoring and using us to restore. We need to keep that crystal clear because today something might happen to you and you need to remember 10,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, when I am with Christ, you need to remember 10,000 years from now, (laughs) because most of us, we have troubles thinking about next week. 10,000 years from now, those who know Christ will be alive and well, and well, let's read Revelations chapter two. Could you hit that for me, Bailey? 10,000 years from now, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Jesus is speaking here. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Really, Jesus says that we will rule and reign over nations with an iron scepter 10,000 years from now? Yeah, you probably didn't know that. Revelation chapter 3, in case you're thinking, ah, he just picked some random verse that I've never read before. Chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus again speaking, the beginning of Revelations, there's seven letters to seven churches. We happen to be a church. This wasn't written to us, but it's written for us. And Jesus says to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Oh, who cares about the rest of the book of Revelation? That's cool. I don't know how it happens. I don't know the whole scheme. I don't know how it turns out. But Jesus, red letters, Revelation 3.21. You might now need to circle, highlight under that. What am I saying? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Oh, my goodness. 10,000 years from now, you will rule and reign with Christ. 
10,000 years from now, you will be a little above the angels. Right now, you're a little below the angels, according to the Apostle Paul. And and 10,000 years from now, you're going to be above the angels. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. Those who are victorious. That's some clarity. Community. You're going to be with these people for a long time. (laughs) Look around. Yeah, that guy too. You're going to be with him for a long time. All of these folks who know and love Jesus Christ, who are following him, who bow the knee to King Jesus, you're going to be with them for an awful long time. You're going to rule and reign with your brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And this is a community that's shaped around the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord into heaven, the King of heaven, of the earth, of the cosmos, of the universe, of everything. Jesus forms a community of people. You and I are part of that. We're part of it because we are forgiven, because we believe in Christ, because we, pro- we are seeking to follow him faithfully. Counsel. Do I even need to counsel any of us? Aren't these things counsel in and of themselves? I mean, if you're depressed someday, Monday, going to work, that boss, or those little kiddos demanding more, 10,000 years from now, isn't that counsel? Isn't that something that you can just bank on? That you can counsel yourself with, you know what? I can get through today because 10,000 years from now, I will be ruling and reigning with Christ if I am victorious. Oh my gosh. And counseling other people? Doesn't this give us perspective on our problems, on our issues, on what we're facing in this life? You know, African-American slaves understood this. They wrote a lot of Negro spirituals and they talked about a place where they would escape the brutality of their slave masters. They talked about a place and they would often encourage one another by saying, this world ain't our home. Because their experience of this world wasn't very nice. wasn't very comfortable And one of our biggest dangers of living in the Disneyland of world history, America, is that we will fail to understand the Christian hope. That we will think, ah, things are so good for me here. I'm doing so well. And if we just get the right dude elected or the right lady elected, we're going to be even better. If we start to think we can make this place great. What do we have to look forward to? See, this place is always going to have problems because we ain't smart enough to fix them. But King Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne, that's our place 10,000 years from now. All right, let's pray because some of you look really hungry. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for these words. My goodness, I look so forward to this. It's hard to get my head around that me and us, all who are faithful 
followers of Christ to the end. We will rule and reign with you. We will get to take our place in your throne room, making decisions about this world, about this cosmos. Wow. Thank you that you are in heaven interceding for us. Thank you that you are there, that you know all that we go through. Thank you that you give us this great hope that one day we will be with you. We will rule and reign with you. Thank you that you, Jesus, were faithful, that you became king, that you have taken your rightful place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Help us to remember and celebrate Ascension Day, your divine absence. Help us know that that gives us a mission to this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Join in. Be a part. Grab hold of King Jesus and serve him. And know your destiny 10,000 years from now. Amen.